welcome to this week's session of Pricked the Interviews. My name is Kim Brown Sims, and as a nurse of over three decades, I've always said that I've pricked many, many people, and it was always for their own good. Pricked is an interview series that touches on those situations that cause us to react. Positive, negative, inspired, angered, energy is created, and through telling the stories of what has pricked us in our lives, we gain insight to the common bonds in humanity. Great and powerful action can result from even the littlest prick. Join me now as we jump into another incredible story about being pricked. Five staff members, nurses, leaders, a respiratory therapist standing around a patient's bed. After weeks of fighting, fighting for this patient, this person, this mother, daughter, sister, grandmother to survive, she succumbed to COVID-19. Downtrodden, defeated, deflated, the team stood together in stillness. The nurse leader, sensing the intense emotion of the respiratory therapist, leans over and says, thank you for how hard you worked to save this patient's life. The respiratory therapist, in turn, tears in her eyes, says thank you for noticing and giving me the acknowledgement, because most of the time, I'm spoken to in a manner that just demands more, and I already feel like I can't do enough. Welcome to this week's Pricked. I'm thrilled to invite into the studio none other than the incomparable Drew Lane. Drew is the Director of Nursing with Responsibility for an Emergency Department and Critical Care Unit at a community hospital here in the beautiful California Bay Area. He is with us today to share his perspective on being a leader in the chaos of healthcare, and he may even share a time or two when he's been pricked. Drew, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. Morning. Drew, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, potentially your passions, purpose, your desired legacy? Wow. Uh, Yeah. So uh, (laughs) I have been a public servant for 27 years with experience in law enforcement, fire, EMS, and the vast majority of that experience has been in nursing. And my primary specialty has been emergency medicine, but also critical care and a little bit of time spent in research, actually, in trauma, stroke, cardiac, all the cool, fun things. So growing up in healthcare, I always say that I took notes of all of my personal leaders to write down the good characters and the bad characters characteristics. And my transition into leadership has been to model myself after all of the good characteristics while remembering the bad ones so that I don't repeat any of those bad habits. Well, you know, people do say that you learn as much from bad leaders as you do from good. And and I guess my question is, you know, do you have a story about being pricked by one of those bad leaders and kind of what reaction did that create and what ultimately resulted from being pricked? Lots and lots of little anecdotes, little stories, uh, feelings of being unsupported, demands without resources, focusing on shortcomings and not being recognized for victories, large or small. And, you know, I'm, these are not unique to me. These are things that everybody in pretty much every industry experiences. But I think probably 
the biggest and most personal prick that I've experienced was uh, I was let go from a leadership role during a merger. And I know that is very common. Middle management suffers greatly during mergers. And I know I got caught up in that. But it's still painful when you know that you're doing good things and you have a great team and you've been able to accomplish significant achievements with documented awards and recognized metrics and all of those things and you still lose your job. So it's hard not to take that personally, but I also try to learn from every experience. So I, I let that push me harder into my servant role as a leader because I definitely felt like the leader that showed me the door was not a servant. They were very business, very numbers oriented, and we suffer as staff beneath that. And I don't ever want to be that person for somebody else that I'm supposed to be supporting, encouraging, and providing resources for. So I love that you shared that story and I and I get it. You know, I absolutely understand. I myself have been in that same situation. And some of the feelings that came up for me during that that time, it wasn't the exact exact same situation, but something very similar, you know, I think came down to, for me, shame. Like, why didn't I do well enough to be, you know, chosen to stay? And also anger, frustration, knowing that the work that was put forward um, similar to what you were sharing was very very highly regarded, awarded, fabulous team, that whole same thing. And I had a really hard time letting go. And the word is forgive, forgive that individual. And what it came down to was that I needed to learn the lesson, which sounds like you did learn a lesson from that, which was, you know, how or the importance of being a better servant leader, even than than you were before. Yeah, absolutely. So that there's lots and lots of benefits to servant leadership. And most of those benefits are to the people you are leading. But you also derive a great deal of personal fulfillment and professional achievement by being the support and encouragement and resource that your team needs. Their success is your success. So the better you are doing your job, the better they are performing and and the better everyone else is. The biggest drawback to servant leadership is the personal side. Every failure, every letdown, every setback tends to be taken personally because you do invest so much of yourself into that role. It's very easy to take something as benign as a business decision very personally and make it question you (laughs) make you question your worth and and your purpose and your value oh absolutely that is a very poignant statement i really applaud you for being able to you know kind of wrap that wrap that with a bow because i think that's a message that a lot of people you know really need to hear that someone else or someone else's opinion of you and or a business decision that's made that impacts you is not a reflection of your worth. And really, it comes down to owning your worth internally, 
understanding who you are, what your passion, your purpose, and your mission is, and staying true to that. Because there will always be critics, always. So you have to be your biggest cheerleader and just understand where you stand. And also the fact that we are all in the process of evolving and learning all of the time. Yeah, I'm shaking my head to everything you said. I agree wholeheartedly. I'm thinking that right now in healthcare is a very difficult time for either frontline servants or servant leaders because we are fighting so hard every day to get a handle on the current healthcare issues. And we it's hard to not feel like we're fighting a losing battle. It's hard to not take things personally. And it's hard to get our batteries recharged. I mean, we are, like you mentioned at the very beginning, we are so tired because this thing just keeps going on and on and on. And, and, you know, even as a, just a regular worker without the servant piece, it's hard not to, to wear down. But when you're so invested in it personally, emotionally, spiritually, it's really very difficult right now to not let this get into our heads as well as our hearts and our our hands. <laughs> right. And, you know, and I'm going to take it, I'm going to take it a step further and just say that when you feel as if the world doesn't hear you or doesn't understand, which I think is truly the case with healthcare in the general population, there is a lack of understanding of what it looks like to be in a critical care unit or in an emergency department receiving patients who are so critically ill and also who can't be with their families, right? And the role that the healthcare provider plays in filling that gap. And, you know, it does take its toll. It wears on you. And while you can continue to find moments of grace and moments of inspiration because your passion and your purpose and your mission in life is being fulfilled, when it's day in, day out, nonstop, no reprieve like this pandemic has brought toward um, healthcare, brought into healthcare, then that does start to wear on you. And how do you remain resilient? How do you come together as a team and support one another? And um, I, I think that's a critical piece. I'm, I'm going to take a step back here just a second and, and ask you to kind of define servant leadership from your perspective. So I have a couple of catchphrases that I use, and one of them that I started using a long time ago was, my job is to make sure that you, my team member, has the tools that you need to be successful. So it's literally my job to provide the tools, to provide the resources, to provide the backup, to provide the encouragement, to provide whatever you need to do your job. You can't do your job without all of those things. And I have taken on the role of providing for that. And I really take that to heart to the point of becoming a scrounger of supplies to becoming a uh, mechanic for equipment to becoming that fifth or sixth or seventh team member to help get things moving when they're starting to back up. And that is, I, I'm, I'm trying to be the person that I always wanted to have behind me. So that's, that's my biggest definition. And I 
A lot of leaders get in leadership because they are good at a thing. They are good at organization. They are good at coordination. They are good at math. But if you are not good at people, your your team isn't going to get uh, what I personally feel is your team's not going to get what they need to be successful. Well, I love that. And there are just multiple ways that I could go with that. But, you know, the first thing I'm going to say is that you and I have very similar philosophies. You know, my pat statement is always that as a leader, my role is to remove the obstacles to you being able to achieve your goals. And that goal. Yes, exactly. And, you know, when I say that I remove obstacles for people, it's because they are capable of accomplishing great things on their own. We hire them. They're the experts. We want them to do the job that they do well. But sometimes they run into roadblocks. And if they're unable to remove that obstacle on their own, it's my job as a leader to remove that obstacle. And that's really how I I see myself as well. So in that same servant leadership mentality or mode, but coming at it from, I just need to remove your obstacles where you're talking about procuring the supplies, but I think it's one in the same. And then the other element that really strikes me um, from what you said is that there are gifts. We each have gifts, right? And we can all be good at certain things. And honing in on those gifts is really the way to help people shine and to encourage them to feel valuable and wanted. And so I'm curious from your perspective, is it important for everybody to be good at everything or is it important to focus on on what people are good at and, and allow them to be even better at that one thing and to share that thing with other people? So, yeah, I, I recognize that not everyone is going to be great at everything. So one of my leadership tools is anytime I join a team or inherit a new team member, I pay attention to find out where their skills are the sharpest. And I try to give them opportunities to use those skills in the right venue to be very successful at their passion. So I do have to spend time to get to know my team members and to know the organization's needs and to plug people into the right teams, the right committees, the right roles within the department so that they can shine. Because I know that if they're shining in that role, I'll find somebody else to shine in the next role and the next role. And before you know it, we're all a bunch of rock stars. (laughs) And you're shining brightly. There's a song. (laughs) There's a song there. (laughs) So what I've heard you say about servant leadership is that, you know, you need to procure um, whatever it is that they need or remove the obstacles to them being able to achieve their goals that you need to get to know the individuals and understand their strengths and then plug them in where they're going to shine more, most brightly. So what are the other key elements to developing a strong leadership style to being successful as a servant leader? So th- there's a undeniable business side to leadership. I mean, obviously, the, the business has to run. And I, I've always, one of my other catchphrases is, I translate numbers into people and people into numbers so that my frontline staff, my people, can understand what the numbers mean, and so that my chief financial officers and business partners can understand the physical 
ramifications of the numbers that they project or the goals that they set. Not everybody can do that, and it is very challenging and difficult. It takes a lot of time and effort to to communicate on both sides. And uh, I think a lot of people, when they look at leadership, they see that as as the selling out part or getting caught up in the business buzzwords or or business speak. But if you can learn to translate those things, I believe that's part of my success as a leader. Well, uh, I agree with you 110%. So there's two sides of that coin, right? Uh, if you act as an intermediary and the interpreter, that's the way I have defined myself as a registered nurse for all these 30 plus years is is as a, an interpreter, I'm either interpreting what the physician is saying to patients and or family members, or I am interpreting the need for clinical care and resources to business individuals who are business-minded and not clinically-minded, right? Or I'm having exactly. converse, conversations within the community. So that's serving on multiple fronts. It's serving your front line. It's serving those who you report to and the business of healthcare that funds your ability to, to live well. And it also is serving the community so that they have the correct information and an accurate picture. And it's kind of part of what we're doing today is creating awareness amongst the community members. And a part of being a servant to your frontline staff in regard to discussing the numbers and translating people to numbers and numbers to people is being very transparent about what you have and what that allows you to do. Would that, yes. yes. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the other skills that I've developed that I take pride in is making sure that my frontline staff has the information that they need to understand the metrics or the goals so that they can take ownership of it. And that comes back to your subtitle for today of don't tell me what to do. Yes. <laughs> Managing a bunch of ER nurses and CCU nurses can be challenging because they are a very particular type of people that get into those roles. They are skilled, they are educated, they are confident, they are competent. And uh, if you come at them with goals that have no context, they're not going to waste their time doing it. (laughs) So part of my part of my leadership role is to translate the need, the value, or the worth of that goal or that metric so that they can wrap their heads around it. And when people like us are able to wrap our heads around these things, then we're more likely to take ownership of it and make it a successful process. Are you talking about finding meaning in the work that you do? Find Yeah, finding meaning in the business of what we do. I mean, finding meaning in nursing is something that that a lot of us get into because we have immediate feedback. We do a procedure, we reassess, and we see whether that worked or not. So we have immediate feedback on our skills. But the business side of things is way higher and way further out that a lot of times we don't have the capacity right at the moment or the time or the desire to even try and think about. So we don't. But Still, we have to, as a business, think about those goals, think about the financial success, think about the productivity of what we do 
So I have to be able to explain that to my team if I'm going to ask them to change what they do. Got it. You know, and I think too that, you know, that gets wrapped up in the um, give me the why, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree with you 100% there. And then, so tell me, you know, Drew, for people who don't really know how to execute servant leadership, are, are there practical action steps that that they can take to creating this attitude? And really, it's a leadership style, right, of servant leadership. Yes. Yeah, it is a style. And I believe that I was made for this. My, my personal skills and gifts, like you mentioned, suit me very well for this style. But one of the practices that I often do is I make it a point to not ask my team members to do something that I am not willing or able to do myself. So that does two things. One is I am personally aware of the time, the effort, the cost of what I'm asking them to do because I've done it myself. And the other side of that is my team sees me doing patient care. They see me taking the time to stop what I'm doing to prioritize something else so that uh, they have an example to follow. If I walk around in scrubs all day and say, isn't it great? And I keep walking and I never touch a patient. That's not being a servant leader. I may be a whiz at all of the administrative stuff, but if they never see me lay hands on a patient, then they don't really believe that I know what I'm talking about when I'm asking them to work extra shifts or asking them to do extra things. But if they see me coming in at three o'clock in the morning and helping them when the ED is overflowing or stepping into that extra shift at seven o'clock at night in CCU when uh, we have a call out and we have two more patients than the unit can handle, then they know for a fact that I know what they're going through because I've stood next to them in the trenches. So let me ask you a question that goes beyond that. So, you know, I've also been in those roles, the nursing director roles, and I, again, wholeheartedly concur with what you're saying. It's important to to get in there and help out when um, help is due. When you step into more of the administrative role, when you are a chief nurse exec or the CEO or, you know, the COO, What do you think resonates with the staff when it comes to administrators? Because it is less likely that they're throwing on a pair of scrubs or you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I do. So one of my examples for that is my very first leadership role when I became a manager of my first team. I had a manager that I only saw twice a year because I was on night shift when I started my leadership role and the only time I saw my manager was during a couple of staff meetings. So uh, there, there was a huge disconnect. I never felt like they understood what we were doing, and I never saw them. So there was no interaction whatsoever. So as a result, I've made it a point to come in early and leave late and, and be present for all shifts in all times for my team. And that takes you know, a sacrifice on my part but I see them. So even a CNO or a CEO 
can come in every once in a while on a weekend and get to know the people that are working for them on the times when they normally don't see leadership at all. So just being visible is a big part. The other part for me is also part of the translation. In my current situation, our chief nurse is based at another facility in the system. So we have a nurse, a VP of nursing at our hospital who everybody knows and, and gets along with. But the chief nurse executive is at a different hospital in the system. So we never see them. So I make it a point to tell my staff when that leader has supported them or provided for them in a way that they normally wouldn't recognize. So uh, we've, you know, we've had to ask for a lot in our little hospital lately because of the resources are stretched so thin. And our local nursing VP has gone to her boss a number of times and said, this is what we need uh, to be successful. And that nursing executive has supported us every single time. She's given time, she's given money, she's given positions, she's given tools. And so I point out to my team that this thing that you're using right now came from the nurse exec. Uh, even though you don't see it and you don't know it, you need to, I need to let you know that this person does care about you and this is proof right here. So that to me is another example of servant leadership and it's what's called managing up. And so it's painting a picture of those who serve alongside you or um, are in roles above you. And I I don't really like that above you thing because my perspective is we're all in this together. We all have a role to play and I do my role, you do your role. So I'll say serve alongside. It's managing those people up to let others know that they work just as hard as they do and as you do for the success of caring for patients in a high quality and safe manner. Absolutely. And you can do that not only with senior leadership, but other departments, with ancillary teams, with with just about anybody that isn't continually visible. Because it's easy when you're working as a frontline staff member in one department and all you do is work and go home and work and go home. It's easy to feel like you're the only person who's doing the work. So I've made it a point to get to know my environmental services team members, to know my dietary team members, to know my other ancillary staff so that I can say, yes, absolutely. This stroke coordinator is here 24 hours a day working with other departments to make sure that they are backing you up and to make sure that we are getting things running smoothly. And this uh, radiology manager understands that uh, our x-ray times are backing up and they're working on getting other staff members for you. So managing people up does a couple of different things. Number one, it helps, it helps people see that they're not alone, but it also helps them trust and believe in those other team members that they don't interact with very much. So I'm right back to another servant leadership skill, and that is breaking down silos, right? And creating the atmosphere of all of us together, all of us having individually important roles that together create the entire framework for, again, that high quality safe care. I I always use the create the picture that 
healthcare is a wheel, a wheel that needs to roll consistently. And we're all spokes in the wheel. And in order for the wheel to run smoothly and for the um, inner tube, the tire to remain inflated, we all have to do our play our part. Because if one spoke of the wheel breaks, it's going to create a weakness that could eventually cause the tire to pop and the wheel to no longer roll. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, tell me, Drew, do you have, what's your favorite, what's your favorite or most inspiring story about being involved with a servant leader or working in an established team of servant leaders, like a huge accomplishment or something that really just filled you up as a leader and reinforced that your philosophy is the philosophy to continue to use? So I have been privileged to lead a number of teams that are very good at what they do. My first role was as a manager of a nurse research team. And we set up a model to where we were not only successful in what we were doing, but we supported the teams that we interacted with. We embedded ourselves in an emergency department because most of our studies were emergency medicine minded. And we were float nurses for the emergency department so that we could help them out even though we weren't taking an assignment of our own. And then when a patient came in that qualified for a trial, we took off our stethoscope and put on our lab coat and just went into research mode with that patient. But we were very successful because we were embedded. We were able to enroll more and more patients in our trials, and we were able to support our uh, ER and trauma colleagues at the same time. Uh, And then another team that I was on, we had a stroke program that we had built from nothing all the way up to a comprehensive stroke certification which means that our little community hospital had an interventionalist that could go in and actually remove clots or stop bleeds in the brain, and we did everything in between. We won awards for our work in that stroke program every single year, and I always joked that we ran out of wall to post their certificates and that the American Heart Association had to add a word every year to the award because it was bigger than the one before. So, uh, in that same team, we won awards for our cardiac program. I had five or six Daisy Award winners, a nurse, an ER Nurse of the Year Award winner, a system-wide uh, leadership award was granted to one of my team members. We all worked so well together, and the ways that we were able to support each other and encourage each other just benefited everyone more and more and more. And then... Another role I had, which you were also involved in, we were able to build a 400-bed hospital in six days and staff it and open it for business. Uh, And I think that was a huge achievement because we had good leaders who were able to motivate a team and find their strengths and put stuff together in a very quick period of time. My biggest achievement is going to be personal, though. I was honored with one of the first DAISY Nurse Leader Awards. And the DAISY Award, for those who aren't familiar with it, is an award that is given to servants who go over and above nursing care to provide uh, and meet the needs of their patients that aren't just task or medicine related. I was given the opportunity to go over and above and take care of a patient that 
started in our system and went to another system. And I was able to help them coordinate their care and keep track of some of their very expensive belongings. And I did so at my own expense on a weekend and drove two hours away to get them what they needed. And that really demonstrates what servant leadership is all about. So the fact that you won the DAISY Award, which is absolutely amazing. I am actually friends with the founder of the DAISY Award um, that celebrates the life of her son who had idiopathic thrombocytopenia and actually succumbed to that disease. And the whole award is focused on celebrating nurses because so individually, because so many times when Patrick, her son, and the family, Bonnie, and her and her husband would come in and celebrate the nurses, they would say, oh, it, it, you know, it's all of us. We all come together to care for the patient, which is true. And yet they really wanted to call nurses out individually. And the way they celebrate the fact that the nurses say it takes a team is that they have cinnamon buns brought in for the entire team so that the team gets to be a part of celebrating the individual accomplishment. And patients typically are the ones who nominate these individual nurses. And it's really cool because it was in the last four or five years, I believe, that they moved to also having a Nurse Leader Daisy Award. And so for you to have won that award, I think is beyond amazing. And it really truly shows your commitment to healthcare and to serving not only patients, but your staff and understanding what their needs are and ensuring that they're cared for, which is a big part of the theme of what a lot of these conversations we've been having lately are about. And that's really caring for our caregivers because we're in this pandemic where resilience is required. And it's important for leaders to know what role they play and also how they practice self-care so that they're able to continue to give to their frontline staff. Do you wanna talk a little bit about self-care? Yes. So as I mentioned earlier, being a servant leader does have a, it does take a toll. Somebody with a servant's heart tends to feel things bigger. And most nurses uh, have that sense of purpose in what they do. It's really what draws, I think, most people into nursing. And it's part of who they are, not just a job that they do. And when you struggle with loss, it's very difficult to separate the personal from the business. Now, we know in healthcare, we can't save everybody. We understand the circle of life. And eventually, everyone passes away. It's very difficult, though, when you fight day and night and you work so hard to save someone and they still pass away. And unfortunately, right now, that is all that we are doing. In the emergency department, in the CCU, out on the floors, we are fighting all day, every day to maintain a certain physical status for our patients and look for, hope for, pray for kind of progress. And in so many cases, we're just not seeing it. My team alone, my CCU is just eight beds. 
last weekend, we lost five patients in three days. And these were people that we had worked with for weeks on end to try and get them better. And no matter what we did, we did not make any progress with any of them. And they eventually passed due to COVID. So this is taking its toll on our team. You know, it, it, when it happens here and there, we, you know, we can take it in stride. But when it's so much and it's continuing to go on and five minutes after that person is rolled out of that room, there's somebody else who needs the same level of care and we have to start all over again. Uh, it's very difficult to, to recharge, to process. We have no time to process what we've just experienced. So one thing that was actually a suggestion of one of my team members was that we need to have a critical incident stress debriefing. And for those that aren't aware of that, it's basically a professionally guided session to talk through an event so that you can voice your feelings, concerns, and share those with other people who either were right there with you in that event or have been through the same uh, or similar events before. Uh, and that gives you the venue and the opportunity to safely process your feelings without judgment, without scrutiny, and it gives you a chance to talk through that. So that's one of the things that I'm actually in the process of scheduling for my team. And I'm going to give them the opportunity to do that because we've had so much loss in such a short period of time. So I love that. Are you using your uh, human resources? Are you using your employee assistance program representatives? Are you using your quality nurses who typically do these debriefs? Or who are you using? Who will you be contracting with? Because I think that's going to be valuable for many of our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going through EAP or the Employee Assistance Program. Every healthcare organization should have that resource available to their team. If it's not posted anywhere, ask human resources or your nurse leadership how to get in touch with them. And generally, those services provide individual counseling, whether it be personal or professional counseling. Those should be available to you for free for a number of sessions, depending on the arrangement they have, or bigger things like this, uh, team building exercises or critical incident stress debriefing. The importance is to have a proctor who is trained in that specifically. So because it is a guided session with a professional, they can help keep things on track. They can help translate feelings into words. Uh, if people aren't able to articulate things on their own, they can key into things and, and put things into words better for us so that everyone can understand uh, and they can keep it so that it does remain judgment-free. So they can remove any defensiveness or barrier to someone having the opportunity to work through things that is therapeutic for everyone. So there, there are resources for critical incident stress management. There is a website called criticalincidentstress.com, criticalincidentstress.com, and it goes through what CISM is and how to go through the steps of 
debriefing with your team. And honestly, you know, originally these types of things were created in for military um, settings. It expanded to first responders, firefighters, so on and so forth. And now it's being used widespread. And I'm going to plant a seed because I've talked about this before. Traumatic incidents, which this pandemic is, it causes trauma. It causes people to react to situations from a very stressed perspective. And prolonged stress leads to things like moral injury, moral distress, moral residue, which leads to burnout and causes PTSD. We are in a war against the pandemic on the front lines. Whether you want to believe it or not, it is true. This is war. And these critical incidents, stress debriefings are vitally important to creating that atmosphere for people to be able to share. Also, there are steps that you can take as a leader called the trauma-informed approach, and it defines the six steps that create an atmosphere that support people who are experiencing trauma. And we're talking about our entire workforce globally and specifically within healthcare. And the first step is to create a safe atmosphere and then move through the different steps. And again, you can find that on the CDC's website and you can also find it on Health and Human Services website. And those are the six steps to the trauma-informed approach. So Drew, I'm going to I'm going to take us in a little bit different direction. I want to talk about the antithesis to servant leadership. You know, because there are still many, many leaders out there who use a hierarchical, top-down, fear-based leadership style, an autocratic leadership style, a dictator leadership style. Can you talk a little bit from your perspective on what impact these types of leadership styles have on a team? So, yeah, if we talk through all the things that we've mentioned so far about servant leadership and the benefits to that, that the opposite is <laughs> what you just mentioned. So instead of frontline staff having the information that they need to take ownership, they're just being forced to do more. There's always more. There's always something else that they're going to have to do. There's always another thing put onto their plate without anything being taken off of their plate. And that piles up and eventually someone is going to reach their limit. Most of the jobs that I have left has been for that reason. It's just being told to do more with less, which every nurse understands this. Uh, you'll do more with less and you'll like it. Be happy that you have a job or something similar to that. And Everybody has their limit with that attitude. And I think we've experienced quite a bit of loss in nurses over the last several years because healthcare has become such a numbers-driven business. Uh, a lot of the nurses that grew up in community hospitals where they were caring for family members or friends or neighbors got burned out because it, was, it became all about the money. It became all about the numbers. And it didn't matter what feelings were or it didn't, the, there was no such thing as holistic medicine anymore. It was only numbers driven. Uh, and people don't do well uh, when they're treated like a number. 
I, yes, absolutely. (laughs) As you were talking, like so many thoughts came through my, were coming through my mind because I grew up in nursing again, 30 plus years as a nurse. And, you know, we were taught to care for patients, mind, body, and spirit. Somewhere along the way, somebody decided that mental health wasn't a part of a person's well-being. Okay, that's not true. And then the spiritual side of it, while we try to hang on to it, you know, within the tenets of some hospitals that were created under the auspice of a religious faction, you know, you try to adhere to that. But mainly what that just means is we won't provide certain services to you, not we're going to care for you spiritually. And I say that we went from caring for patients, mind, body, and spirit, to caring for patients via pills and procedures, because to your point, it was about creating revenue. It was about the bottom line. And for me, the pet peeve comes from using nurses not at the top of their license, using nurses to pass meal trays and to stock shelves and to stuff charts and do all of the things that are deemed support services that should be included in the bed fee, which includes the nurse's fee. And so what we can do is take away the services that actually do those and have the nurse take care of all of that. That, more than anything, just pushes my buttons because you go to school to learn to care for patients. You go because it's a calling, because you have in your heart this desire to help make people's lives better in some way, shape, or form, even if that means helping them have a good death. And yet here you are stocking shelves and passing trays and picking up trays and emptying the trash. So that's one of one of the bees in my bonnet. And getting back to the idea of, you know, that fear-based leadership model where you're just telling people, do what I say, not what I do, because I said so. We're going to continue to do this because we've always done it that way. I think that's where from a middle management leadership perspective and also a frontline management perspective or frontline staff perspective, if you've had a manager that said those things, I think you do get to burnout because you don't feel valued. You don't feel like your voice has value, that your expertise has value. Your sense of self-worth goes away because here I am, I'm just this robot being told what to do. And for me, that's the crux of leadership and servant leadership is making sure each individual knows that the gifts that they bring to the table are incredibly valuable. And we want to hear your voice because that's going to create a better outcome than any one person that hierarchical leader at the very top, you know, can come up with on their own. Exactly. And, and I mentioned earlier, the the people that we're talking about are educated professionals. They are highly skilled. They are deeply caring individuals, uh, and they need that acknowledgement that me as a leader and the leaders of the organization know and value the sacrifices that they've made to get where they are and the sacrifices that they continue to make every day, which we were just talking about a couple of minutes ago. There is a toll on these people, and they need their leaders to even just acknowledge that. So I was talking to a respiratory therapist the other day and, and RTs right now, 
are scrambling just as fast as they can. So our, our nurses are working very hard with these patients and their number one disease process is respiratory. And there may be two respiratory therapists in a hospital. So there's two of these people managing all of the airways, managing all of the respiratory status for every person with respiratory issues in the hospital. And they get invested just as much as we do. And I stood next to one of our respiratory therapists at the bedside of a person who had just passed. And we had all interacted with this patient many times for a long period of time. And we all got invested in that person's care. And that one hit us all particularly hard because we really did everything we could think of to save this person. Uh, and our efforts were not successful. And I could tell that the respiratory therapist was taking it just as hard as the nursing staff. And so I stood next to her and I just acknowledged her feelings. I acknowledged her efforts. I told her that I appreciated her and she just put her head down. And she, she thanked me for saying that I appreciated her because everybody else just yells, for more and more and more. I need you, I need you, I need you. Do this, do this, do this. And I was one of the few people that took one second to say, I appreciate you. And that's really what our team needs. And it takes a servant or a cheerleader to be able to convey that message to staff when everybody else is just asking for more. It's incredibly poignant. It's incredibly poignant because acknowledgement more than anything is, I, I'd call it a salve, right? It's, it's an ointment. It's something that allows you to stop and say, the contributions that I'm making are meaningful, even if it doesn't feel like it because we are losing patients, but somebody recognizes the effort that I'm putting in. And I've talked with a lot of leaders about acknowledgement, acknowledgement that these times are hard, acknowledgement that we are doing our best, but sometimes that best in amongst this traumatic life we're living is only 50% of what we typically can give. Acknowledging that um, this is unprecedented and that there's no roadmap and that we are all doing the best that we can. And so you acknowledging an individual in a time of crisis is incredibly meaningful. And like I say to every person who has given service to our country, thank you so much for your service, Drew, on the front lines in the military, because I know you also have a military background as a critical care nurse and is just an amazing human being who I have had the privilege of standing beside. And let me acknowledge your greatness if I didn't do that enough um, during our time together, because I truly feel that you are an inspiration and the model of leadership that will lead us to success and get us through this pandemic. Thank you very much. And you are welcome. <laughs> so it's been such an honor to have you on the show today. Do you um, have a parting message or what is your parting message to our listeners out there today? Not to put so you on the spot. <laughs> no, I've been thinking about it. We didn't talk about it at all, but my parting message is grab a battle buddy. Everybody find at least one person that you can reach out to, connect with, acknowledge, 
encourage or be encouraged by. Uh, we are isolated. We are stressed. We are exhausted. We are beat down. And we need to know that we are not alone. So grab a battle buddy. Reach out to them on a regular basis. Uh, whether they reach out to you or not, just make it a point to let somebody know that they are important and that somebody cares and somebody is thinking about them. We're going to need battle buddies to get through this. Those are great words. And I'll be your battle buddy, Drew. I'll reach out to you on a regular <laughs> basis if you'll uh, not get tired of me because I know I uh, I do reach out on occasion. So Yeah, you know I appreciate you very much. Oh, well, and likewise. So again, Drew, just thanks so much for being on the show and sharing your wisdom today. It's um, incredibly important for our listeners to be able to understand, get a little glimpse into what it's like day in and day out on the front lines. And you uh, speak so eloquently and you paint very clear pictures of what's happening out there in the world. So once again, thank you. And uh, any other final words? I just appreciate the opportunity to have a voice. That's another thing that we need to know that we're being heard and, and you have given me that opportunity. And I know that you're giving it to others as well. So thank you very much for what you are doing. Well, you're most welcome. Again, thank you for your time. So in conversation with Drew today, you know, we talked about a lot of leadership philosophy and most specifically the leadership philosophy and type of leadership called servant leadership. What I gathered from the conversation that Drew and I had is that being a servant leader means that you provide staff, team members, and leaders with what they need to accomplish their goals. You remove the obstacles that impede their forward progress. It means caring with heart and seeking, communicating, and translating information to create an atmosphere of transparency and trust, and the word trust being the most poignant word. Being a servant leader means modeling expected behaviors and taking the time for self-care so that caring for others is possible. Drew also recommended that right now, as the pandemic continues to plague us, you find what we call a battle buddy. Find this person who you can check in on and who can check in on you and regularly reach out, show them that you care and tell them that we are in this together and together we'll make it through the war. I wanna thank Drew again for sharing his wisdom and I look forward to our next session of Pricked. Every day, we are challenged by the pricks in the world in which we live. What we have to hold on to are the little things that bring us joy and connect us to one another. Knowing our passions, purpose, and gifts help us focus on those moments when passion is experienced, our purpose is fulfilled, and our gifts are recognized. When we share our gifts, what is returned is beyond the imagination. It brings us together, helps us see commonalities, allows us to celebrate our differences, ultimately creating a beautiful, inclusive, equitable, and previously unimagined world. Let's take the gift of being pricked and use it to create great, powerful, and impactful action now. And remember, take a moment to thank the pricks in your life for giving you the shot in the ass that inspired you to greatness. Have a great day, and remember, 
don't be a prick. 